Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Design Recharge. I'm your host, Diane Gibbs, and I am joined by my friend Ashwin Chaco, and he is an amazing illustrator. And I feel, I already told him, I said, I feel like I'm fangirling with all my, I wore my shirt, love is kind, and um, that's not the shirt I first got, which I did bring that one along. So if we want a good laugh, um, we can show that one. But Ashwin and I met and uh, hey, Amy, Amy's in Raleigh, North Carolina. So we've got from all over the U.S., but Ashwin's in Dublin, Ireland. He is not from Ireland originally, but that is where he calls home now. So Ashwin, will you just tell us a little bit about your background in and how you got into illustration? Right, of course. Yeah. Uh, so as far back as I can remember, I've always drawn I, my mother retells the story of when I was five or six of how I asked her if I could make drawing a living. And of course, at the time, she just nodded and smiled. Um, But uh, that drive has been always there. Growing up in India, I didn't know how to make that possible at the time. I didn't know illustration was a potential career path. So after I finished high school, I ended up doing something, a course called visual communications. This was prior to when graphic design became a course. And so it was called visual communication. So I did a year of that and then ended up pivoting to study animation and multimedia. And even though I studied animation and multimedia, I ended up getting a job in an ad agency as a graphic designer. And so over the next few years, I worked as a graphic designer and art director. It was only in the last two or three years, once I moved to Ireland, that I was able to make the transition into full-time illustrator. You are a full-time illustrator, but you also offer workshops. You're definitely entrepreneurial. You have clothes, you have books author you you this was the most recent one this is how crazy this was i think but how amazing this is why i absolutely had to have ashwin on here so he said oh yeah i made a book on sunday and i was like on sunday and i'm not kidding two weeks later he had the books in hand and i i just love it it's called the little optimist and i'm sure we're going to talk about it a little bit more but um it 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 is definitely something you could put in your pocket and uh, take around with you. And it's, it's just packed, packed with all kinds of optimistic endeavors. And it's, it's anyway, I just really love the little book, but I first had gotten this book, the what wonder shapes uh, we are. And there's another book called a uh, keep at it, keep, keep at it, keep which at is it. Ne- yeah. recently, I just had to get it digitally because they were out of print, but it's recently show them. See, look at how cute. Anyway, I love it. So if you, to me, one of the things that really attracted to me, attracted me to the illustrations was just the, the colors, the, it were very action, you know, there's a lot of, and togetherness. So I'm very much love community. So I definitely love, love that part. So Again, you guys, I have questions. If you have questions in the middle, I totally do not mind uh, asking your question. Just make sure you think says two panelists and attendees if you want everybody to see. So you grew up in India and then you, how long ago did you move to Ireland? So I moved to Ireland five years ago. Okay, so five years ago. So that's another thing that a lot of people would be scared to do because it's kind of starting over. Um, 
doing the workshops, writing, you had, you had done design to, I mean, illustration is kind of, uh, it doesn't have to have words, you know, you can illustrate, there's lots of things that are cultural, but there's lots of things that are uh, universal, right? Um, But was that at all, were you apprehensive at all about changing countries and starting, did you feel like you were starting over? Yeah, interesting uh, question, Diane. I know um, I didn't put that on the list. I'm so sorry. Uh, no, th- that's grand. Uh, so uh, I grew up in an international boarding school. Uh, and because I grew up in this international global culture, when I went home or the the people, not so much in my own home, but like the, the culture around my house was very different from the one I grew up in in this boarding school. And so being a third culture kid, I never really felt fully a part of the Indian culture. Uh, so in many ways, moving to a place like Ireland has uh, given me that opportunity to, uh, or I feel more at home in this culture because I'm more globalized. Uh, I speak English as a first language. And so uh, that cultural transition wasn't so hard for me. What was hard was I had this huge network of people all across India that I knew and who obviously your network is what helps you grow and get work and all of that. So coming here, I had to then rebuild everything from scratch, you know, because even though my wife's in-laws are here, they they don't work uh, in the conventional stones. They're pastors. So they, they just have the church and they don't really have a connection or a network in the field I would need. Understand when you said they don't work, I'm like, mm, I'm not hoping they don't watch this. Yeah, they just they go to their church and do their stuff and they don't even work. <laughs> that would be terrible. Um, they do work, but absolutely not in this industry, yeah, yeah. right? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's I the caveat. Slip that you know, part like. out and so then they just doesn't have the rest of the sentence. That'd be hilarious. I won't do that for sure. Um, okay, so then because you really have a bunch of we've done we know each other much better than maybe i i don't know anyway i know you better than i know some of my guests sometimes we spend a lot of time together and we've like dug into different parts of your business and i see you having maybe even four hats of four entrepreneurial silos so you have teaching you have workshops which is sort of in teaching but you actually also teach people how to draw and things like that at a university level. And then you have your, your illustrations that you do for clients. And then you yeah. have your, your lines that you do, which I guess that would also be your books and the products that you make. Um, so I guess we had, we had put it into three and I guess you could still say three, but so the teaching and workshops as one, the products that you make and that you create on your own and then doing client work. Um, But sometimes they overlap. The client work also becomes a workshop or a workshop series that you're doing for companies that are team building or, I mean, there's lots of things that you're doing. And it's hard for me. I also have hats, different hats that I wear. And sometimes it's hard to um, know, like if somebody's like, oh, what did you make in your business? And I'm like, which business, you know, like (laughs) which one are you wanting me to? And so it's hard to know. I don't necessarily want to just do one thing, but that was one of my questions is, you know, 
how long have you been in business and what services do you provide, right? Which maybe you could tell us for each of those silos, what you've been, how long you've been providing. And then the other is who do you normally serve? Because the people who buy your shirts aren't necessarily the people who are going to have you to a, a workshop, but, but maybe, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I suppose I've been working in the creative industry for over the last decade in a variety of different roles. Um, I've always freelanced or like I called it freelance, but technically it is running a business. It was just a misunderstanding of the word freelance. Right. <laughs> uh, so I've always been uh, business minded. I remember st- even though I wasn't aware of the fact. Um, so I don't, I've always wanted to start a clothing line. Um, but like I didn't how really, long? uh, so like my first t-shirt that I designed was in high school. I did it for my, uh, dorm council. So like the council for dorms. So I got to design the t-shirt for that. And then another t-shirt for like a cause we, we were raising money in school. So we designed a t-shirt that we then sold to the people in the school. Um, so I always wanted to do that. I think t-shirts are a fantastic medium to spread a message or to tell a story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's, it, you can, your, your story basically spreads all over the place because the people buy it and, and then they have the opportunity to ask you questions about this story mm-hmm. and it, it opens up possibilities, right? You can have a conversation based on your t-shirt. But you've also told me about that when you were doing art, like when you were doing art um, galleries and you were having openings, that that was one thing that you really loved, that it was you you would have these conversations with people, right? And so maybe the t-shirt is just like an outshoot from, because it started, did it start as a gallery? I mean, like doing art like that, and then you decided to do more t-shirts or vice versa? I mean, I know high school, but. Uh, so I, I always made art. Um I suppose I I didn't do my first show too much later on. Uh, I only did my first exhibition in 2015. And that was the year before I I moved to Ireland. But prior to that, I was working in graphic design. I was making art, but I wasn't presenting it anywhere. So you've said how long you've been in business. You have t-shirts, you have sweatshirts, but it's not just clothing, right? It's also books, you know, are there other prints, right? Posters. I'm looking over there because that's where your poster is. <laughs> uh, so I suppose uh, it's broken into three categories, like you said. So the sort of workshops I do is uh, teaching creativity in many ways. That's the best way to encompass the, the larger picture. So it's things like how to unblock creative block or how to um, generate ideas consistently these are the sort of workshops I do with uh, companies, corporates like Facebook. Um, then with my own illustration work, because I started off in advertising, I tend to do more illustration work for advertising agencies because that is the business I know. And so a lot of the contacts I have will be art directors within agencies that I would have worked together with as an art director or as a graphic designer. And so now I'm using those contacts to gain work, but specifically within the illustration uh, for advertising versus graphic design. Mm -hmm. And then the third aspect is my brand 
which is then where I sell books, um, T-shirts, posters, you name it. But the, the, the key thing that sort of ties it all together is my mission to bring joy and encouragement in everything I do. So this underlying message will turn up in the workshops. It will turn up in the products I create. It will turn up in the illustrations I make for clients as well. That's sort of what draws them to me is, is that consistent messaging I have. And then they want to bring a sense of that joy, a sense of that energy uh, into their brand. Well, and the other thing I love, and you talk about this on your website, I know, and we've talked about this, even in these, you know, it's all different. I just love this book Um, because there it's uh, so there's diversity within the people, even like my shirt, you know, like the girl is purple and the guy's navy blue. And so that there is you're addressing some of those those things that are really important and are are on a lot of companies' minds currently. And so you've been doing that. So people are also, it's, it's just, it's not just that you're, it's just one, that's one of the other, because even the shapes, right. The underlying is that, that we are all people, right. That. Well, uh, yeah. So like the, with wonder is what wonder is shapes. The story behind it is that, when I was growing up, I was teased for the color of my skin. And my wife grew up, uh, when she grew up, she was anorexic. And uh, she had some issues with uh, body shape. And so I wanted to create a book in a way that I could t- teach my children about buzz- body positivity, about the fact that we all come in different shapes and sizes. And even though we look different at the end, we are all people, you know, and that's the core message of what wondrous shapes we are. I love that. And there's big and small. And I just love that book. I'm glad that one was still in print when I made my orders, although I've made plenty of orders since. Um, all right. So then, when you're talking about the corporate, so uh, when you're talking about ad agencies, so moving into from um, India to Ireland to Dublin, and you didn't know necessarily anybody in the ad agencies, what did you do to start those relationships? So I actually got a job as an art director in an agency, and I worked here for six months um, at that agency. I got to know people. Mm-hmm. Uh, And so that's one way I built connections. The other way is I actually just emailed a bunch of people on LinkedIn that I knew of creatives within Ireland. And I said, hey, I'm new here. I would love to chat to you about the design uh, creative industry. Can I buy you a coffee? And so I went out and I met a bunch of different people. And the lovely thing about Dublin is it is full of these amazing creative events. So I signed up for a lot of events. I went for comic book events for uh, local markets where I then had the opportunity to sell my own work as well. So all these different things uh, by engrossing myself in the culture and uh, pushing myself to actually make these connections that allowed me to regrow my network. So are you an extrovert or an introvert? Was that really difficult for you to do or was that not as difficult? I am an introvert. I, I've taught myself to, to be more extroverted. I, I was fortunate enough that in high school, they really encouraged us to uh, speak up. And that sort of helped with confidence 
and to push myself out there. They encouraged me to take drama class and that that helped me a lot. So I did a lot of acting and improv. And because of that, now I just think of it as a role. So I'm playing a role and that's a lot easier to then handle than, you know, uh, being fully like allowing my introverted self to then act as an introvert, uh, extrovert, sorry. I love to give people tactics of how to work on some of these things. I know Pridge is planning on moving to Portugal. So hopefully she's taking notes and getting ideas because she may not have money contacts in Portugal right now. But again, one thing me and you have talked about is that um, you don't just have to work in Ireland, right? Like you can do, there's this thing called the internet that we're using right now. And it allows you to, and I've been, I've done things. uh, I've paid for workshops that were, um, that were virtual, especially during this time. And I think that people now think of it differently than they had before. I definitely think it's great to have people come over. And I know that's part of what your vision is of what you want to do is to travel and speak and do things like that. Do workshops and things like uh, those sort of have those tools, I guess, um, other avenues. I don't know what I'm saying. Okay. We're going <laughs> to question two, finally. So it has to do with a tool. So what um, the what I called this one was know what impact you want to have. And I think that you knowing that underlying thing that's in everything you do is is that impact. How did you come up or how did because some people I think honestly for me. So I'm 48. I feel like I've recently uncovered what that is for me. And so. Again, it's kind of like the uh, acting as an extrovert. It's not something that always come we're born with or we know what we're supposed to do. When did it come to you and how did you discover what you wanted your impact to be? So I've always wanted to make an impact, but I've never really clarified it until uh, last year when the lockdown happened, the first lockdown happened. Suddenly there was a pause moment and everybody was not working everybody was paused and that gave me the liberty to then pause as well and really start reconsidering why do i do what i do and what impact do i want my work to make you know even though uh, a lot of the stuff i was doing the underlying thing was there i had to clarify it in my head you know consciously be aware of the of what i was doing to continually consistently Made that impact. And once I did that, I was then able to clarify the style I have now because I had a variety of different styles, as you can see. These are some of the other works I, I've done before. Uh, but by, by taking the time to clarify who I am, what my voice is, or what I want to say, the style then acts as a bridge for that message. Okay, so so then when you're showing clients, do you show other styles that you could do these other styles? Or is this this is the style that you now because it it um, represents your voice in a in a way in a better way than other styles? So I will only show one this current style in my portfolio. You want to get hired for the type of work that you make mm-hmm. and the message that you have. Uh, and especially for clients looking for illustrators, right? They're looking for some 
all clients are looking for the safe option in many ways, right? You want to be the least risky option as it were. And if you have multiple styles and a client comes to you, they're like unsure of what style is going to come out, out. right? Yeah, they're they're like, I I don't know what to expect, right? Whereas if uh, they come to me, there's a consistent style across everything I do, consistent messaging across everything I do. They're like, okay, we know what to expect. And we know um, that no matter what, this is the type of quality output that is going to happen. And so that's a risk I'm worth taking. It's it's minimal risk for them. So then how, what about with, because it seems different when you're doing workshops. So if somebody's trying to add that in, they're, they're, not necessarily pivoting and only doing this, but it's just adding in. How how would somebody know? Um, because you've done other things. You make videos already. So is that something that you were doing before you started doing because, so that people could kind of see what you were what you were teaching and what you were able to do through? I don't know what I'm saying. I'm I'm not on my game today, buddy. I'm sorry. <laughs> It's all good. Um, but I'm wearing a cool shirt. <laughs> I I taught, I started the videos after I clarified my my why, as it were, my but message. Did you, did you start your videos before you did workshops? No. How did they, how did you get that opportunity? So the opportunity came from a connection um, somebody, I, I, I volunteered to work for the screen printing, uh, shop here in Ireland because I was really interested in screen printing. And I just reached out to them and said, Hey, I'll, I'll, I'll clean the clothes, uh, clean, clean the screens. I'll clean the studio. Just teach me more. Mm. And they're like, sure. You know? And so I then became a technical, um, a technician for them. So I would like hold the studio space for other members to use. And then I'd clean up the place and, and lock it up and stuff. And while I was there, the owner of the the shop saw my work. She loved my work and she works as the art coordinator in Facebook. And so she then invited me to be an artist in residence in Facebook. And as an artist in residence in Facebook, then uh, because I was an artist there, they then asked me if I wanted to run workshops while I was there. So I did a couple of workshops while I was there. And so when I finished, they, they saw the value in the type of workshops I did before. And so they kept inviting me back to do more. Had you ever taught anything before that? Like, had you run any groups or taught kids or anything? Well, I was teaching in the university already at the same time. And I and when I was India in India, I ran a few workshops there as well on on how to create comic books, and it, it was a different field. But like the the skills learned then allow me to do that further down the line. So one of the other thing I think is interesting. Did you? And I don't know this question, and it wasn't on my sheet. Um, did you? When does when does writing books come in? I know you had written books. The you had some poetry books that had amazing i really want those to be reprinted but um when were you writing like um with like like you're like uh, keep at it keep keep it cap uh i should have keep at it keep at it yeah Yeah. keep at it 
I have a problem with letters, I guess. Um, but like this has one that one um, message, which a workshop also should have one thing that people are trying to take away and everything inside. So this seems like a direct this seems like a no brainer for somebody who's doing workshops, right. To also have books, but, and, but where was it? Where in the timeline were you how many books had you done before you started doing workshops? So I I released keep at it in 2019. So Mm -hmm. that was prior to any workshops I ran here in Ireland. Um, This was basically for the 10 year anniversary of me running a business, I released this book as a way to give back to the community. So it's lessons I learned or, or lessons that I would then tell myself 10 years ago. I was like, this is what I've learned. Maybe try do it differently next time. (laughs) Okay. So then did you, is like the workshops that you have done, are they, are they, do they come to you with what their pain point is or do you have something? I mean, I know you said a lot of it has to do with positivity and um, community. I think it ends up teamwork, creative block, all those things kind of come together because we tend to get really down on ourselves when we're having a creative block um, season because it doesn't have it happen as a moment. Usually it happens as a, whether it's a week long or a year long or five months long, it, it happens in a season, I think. Um, let me try to make that a question. So <laughs> at least it's you. I'm so thankful. Um, so in because what, what I'm trying to get at is that a lot of times people have something in them that they maybe are um, they're not valuing they think oh well everybody has this everybody goes through this but there are certain things that if you're willing to share and you do pep wednesdays there's other things that you are doing um and when somebody comes to you like so the facebook girl or or any of the other ones that you've done they come to you do they say this is what our pain point is or do you say or do you ask questions and then you kind of cater it to what they're needing? Or do you say, hey, I have these five ideas. What would you like? So at the moment, uh, with the creative block um, workshop that I developed, it actually started off as a Pep Wednesday talk because it's something that I, I've i dealt with, with in the past. And I was just sharing my knowledge with other creatives that I want to help uh, as a part of building the community uh, here in Ireland. So I, I released that video and then the people at Facebook saw that video and said, Hey, can you run this workshop for our team? Because that's really valuable to us. So obviously they brought that pain point to me. Uh, I didn't bring it to them. And then from there, I was able to use, uh, use the content that I created to develop a workshop. And then Later on this year, I picked up Adam Morgan's book, um, Sorry Spock. Um, yes, it's orange. Um, Sorry Spock. Feelings or something, right? Uh, yes. Emotions. I don't know where it is right now, but like it's a brilliant book. But basically, he had similar points. And so then that helped me consolidate the information even more because he had scientific proof of the ideas that I was talking about. So now I can use that as reference for the points I'm making. It validates the thinking I already had. So like you can, a lot of the times we have these theses, but 
the information is there if we want to find it you have to just look for other books and and then you can quantify the ideas that you have yeah i'll have to find the book i was trying to find it but i can't mm. so um okay so then paul had a question he said can you speak about your journey in regards to pricing yourself so from where you were five years ago to where you are now how can you talk a little bit about that journey about pricing yourself your work and your merchandise because it is a big challenge for a lot of us, he says, and I agree. Yeah, so um, pricing the work really depends on the different uh, parameters for it. So like when I was in India, I was working in an ad agency. So any work I did outside of that, I did on a project to project basis because it doesn't really make sense for me to charge early uh, because I worked in the middle of the night and I'd send out. So I would just say, this is my price for this project. And I would work off of that. Um, with say products, the the idea is to ensure that you have at least 100% profit markup on your base cost. So that's the ideal, Nor that's the minimum ideal. Normally you want two to 300%. And so the higher your profit margin is, the, the more, uh, the better it is for your product. The best way to do that is to measure what the market is selling your product for. So say you're selling a t-shirt, you look at what are your competitors, what rate are they selling at, at? And then you see which ones are along the same sort of level as you. So for me, like, because it's a niche product, it's limited edition, I would sell it at a higher rate and I'd push it as a limited edition print. So I was prior to um, this year where I've moved on to a threadless, using threadless as a model. Um, prior to that, I was screen printing it myself. And so then the volume is much lower. And because it's hand done, then I can ask for a higher premium. Mm, okay. So when you're... I hope that answers. So do you feel like in that you've, were you always doing it based on like when you're doing client work, was it based on the, what the value was to that customer instead of hourly or was it, did you start out hourly and you've moved as you've grown? I suppose it, it would have been more hourly. I just calculated in my head. Mm -hmm. I wasn't asking the customer what value they'd get out of it and even now I it's very hard to do value pricing for illustration per se it is generally project based uh, it's based on licensing so that's where illustration is kind of different so based on the type of license the the client needs so for for different uh different fields so for instance if it's going to be an um an ad a massive ad banner that's going to be seen, the price is going to be much higher because the value is going to be higher from that product or versus an email banner where the, the output will be lower. So that, that is in many ways value-based, but it's based on the specific license that they ask for. So if somebody's doing a banner and you do have in your background, you've done animation, is that something you offer or is that like whoa, I don't do that anymore. I'll t have somebody else do that. And you bring like a team together to do those. 
Uh, if it's small animation, I do that myself. But if it is anything more that I can't handle, I will talk to another freelancer and ask them what their price is and then add my my value on top of that. You'll still, um, will they bill you and then you'll just bill the client? So the client doesn't ever have to see the the your team? Uh, it depends on the project and how much um, I want to handle it. So if I'm getting paid well for the project, I might just say, hey, thanks. Uh, but this person is the perfect person to work with. And I'll point you to them and then they'll work with them. Or other times we work together. And how do then you decide? I how do you decide that? Because I, I wonder about that, too. Sometimes I'm like, I'm fine billing. But there's usually some either amount of time that it's going to take. And if I'm the middle person, it's just, you need to just deal with them. You guys need, cause I feel like, well, then she said this and do you want this? Then they said this. And so it feels like I'm just playing telephone and I'm like, ah, oh, you should just talk to them. But sometimes it's still, I'm still in the middle. Yeah. Um, I generally like 90% of the time I pass them on. Uh, in a few occasions where I I feel I'm close to the project and I want to control the outcome, that's when I'll I'll take managerial control, as it were, um, with that specific project. But for me, like I will license, I I will build them for producing the work, and then they will have to buy a license to make it into an animation. So I'm making money on top of that, regardless of whether I work on it or not. And at that point, I'm like happy to just <laughs> leave it where it is. Okay, so, so Annie asks, how much time do you spend a, a drawing per day or per week? And I love this, how you, because I, I asked you this way early when we started talking, I was like, could you break up your week for me? Because he's so, I think it was after, he's like, yeah, I wrote a book on Sunday. And I'm like, what? Like you, you did what? Like he came this, this book, which is not super, it's not like six pages. I mean, it's 30 pages or I don't even know how many pages, but it's thick. I mean, not too thick, not like Harry Potter thick, but to do this in a day or a weekend seems pretty impressive. So can you just take them through what an ideal week is? Now, granted, there's no amazing ideal weeks. You have three kids, you have a wife, it's a pandemic, you know, but can you take yeah. them through? Cause you do have a kind of a thing that you do. Yeah. So um, I, I, I pretend I am at a nine to five job. I, I try to work within those, that, that time frame, And within that time frame, I always have one hour of just experimental drawing. And that experimental drawing is generally what goes on my Instagram, right? Because that's how I keep practice. I believe in the practice of every day. You need to put in your 10,000 hours if you want to be get, get good at anything. On um, the iPad or on paper or what? Uh, at the moment, I just use the iPad because then the output is straight away, okay. right? Um, so prior to having an iPad, it was a big mission. It was draw by hand, scan it in the computer, then use a Wacom traveler to redraw the whole thing digitally and then color it. So uh, having the iPad has sped that up by 80%. Uh, because uh, of the stage I am in my life and career right now, I can do two or three 
jobs in a month and that's sorted for the, for that month. And that way it gives me flexibility to create side projects, to create things like books, create uh, other products uh, and work on those other businesses that I have basically. And so each, and the reason why I did this is because there would be, especially as a freelancer, as it were, there's lulls in your business, right? There's certain points where there's high client uh, drive, maybe at start of the year, at the end of the year, close to January. And then during the summer here in Ireland, during the summer, everybody goes on holiday. So there's this big lull in um, how much work you're going to get. And during those times is the best time to create work that you want, you're excited about your side projects or and build a business model that sustains you throughout those months. So I have a question. I know this is interrupting my other question, but yeah. what about um, when did you, when you were going through the find your why or your impact, knowing what you wanted to do or your style, when you were figuring out that sunny was your style, um, what, like how much exploration, how much time were you spending drawing on those days? Because you hadn't developed, you maybe had some of them, but you had, it was a more, your range of styles were different. The style came very quickly for me because it was 10 years of experimentation, right? Prior to that, I had tried lots of different things. I tried watercolor painting, um, using pens, using this sort of style. Um, and so I already had all these techniques that I could use, right? Um, so when I clarified the message, it was just a question of picking which techniques best suited that message. And because I was doing a lot of screen printing, that's why I have a lot of solid fat sort of shapes, you know, flat shapes that can then translate well across screen printing. And then that works well for the clothing that I want to do as well. So it hits two, two birds with one stone, as it were. Mm -hmm. So going back to your schedule in the week. Okay, so every day you're drawing and yeah. that's super important. So the, the morning I start with emails. So I'll, I'll answer as, as many emails as I, I can, uh, do any, any tasks that I need to get done, admin stuff, invoicing. I always invoice as soon as the job is done. I don't wait. Uh, job finishes, I'll make the invoice, I'll send it off because I don't want it hanging around. And of course, I don't know why people wait to invoice because this is your money, you're getting paid. So <laughs> the faster you do it, the quicker it's in, in your bank. Do right. you do like um, um, half up front and then the other? Or do you? Yes. Okay. Every time I, I don't start any work without a 50% deposit. And I learned this the hard way. When I, uh, when I was freelancing in India as a young college student, I didn't do that. And I had a, a lot of pain chasing down clients trying to get paid. And yeah. after that, I just had a policy. I was like, until I get 50%, I'm not doing anything. Mm. Once the, the money comes into my bank and I see the money in the bank, that's when I'll start working on the project. Um, and then obviously 50% at the end. But depending on the size of the project, I might take the full amount if it's a small project or um, break it into milestones if it's a very big project. So that'll be 50%, then 25%, and then 25%. So Annie's asking another question. 
Yeah. And I know we still haven't even gotten to Tuesday um, <laughs> or even the middle of the day. But but I think this is a good time for this. Um, how do you balance your life as a designer and an artist? Do you see them as two separate things? Do you see them as integrated? Being an artist is very different from being a designer or an illustrator. As an artist, you're focused on um, creating work for yourself and potentially just getting your message out there. As a designer and illustrator, it's all about communication. You're, you're trying to communicate a very specific message and that, that message has to be clear. Your audience has to understand what that message is. And that, uh, that, that difference makes uh, a huge impact on how your audience interacts with the work. You know, uh, art is an invitation to ask questions, right? It's an invitation to think differently, whereas illustration and design is a tool to communicate a story. Mm, and uh, this is the, the issue is like when I first started out, I thought of myself as an artist. And so I would get offended when there was like criticism or, you know, critiques because I saw it as a criticism of myself and I had to get to, uh, I had to understand the fact that, you know, the, the reason why I'm creating this is not for me. It is for the client. It's for a specific agenda, right? As, as a business problem that has to be solved. Mm -hmm. And it's when you start understanding it that way, you have to shift your perspective. And then the second thing is understanding that your value is not in your work, um, but it's in who you are. So there has to be a separation of your identity uh, from the work, even though you are part of it and you created it and it's an outworking of you, it's separate from you. So what people say about the work should not affect who you are. Mm. That's a good one. I don't know if it answered your question, but okay. So then you do your, you do anything that you need to do and you invoice right away. And then what happens? What happens? You eat lunch. <laughs> Yeah, uh, my days are pretty flexible, you know, so uh, I, I start the morning with exercise, then do all these emails, um, invoice after job is done. If I don't have any client work that week, I'll either spend time studying or learning, um, or I'll start working on a project like a book, uh, writing articles. Uh, I basically spend 90% of the time creating work to, so that I have inbound marketing. Right. So that's creating work for uh, creating content for Instagram, creating content for LinkedIn, creating content for YouTube. All these things then add or bring people to me because it builds my credibility. Speaking on podcasts, all this is a part of uh, that larger drive to market yourself. Is that hard as an introvert to do that stuff? I suppose earlier out in my career, it would have been, but at this stage, I'm like, if I don't do it, then I'm not going to get paid. So I have to provide for family and th this is the reality, right? Uh, yeah. So you have to, uh, it's just part of the job. So I just see it as, as, as a job, mm. it's a, good uh, mindset. A, a task to get done, you know? Mm -hmm. I think just that I'm an extrovert and I still don't want to, I don't know. I have an issue talking about my stuff, but we're not talking about me. We're talking about you. Okay. So how do you determine 
so with the impact, you've determined your impact and who you want to impact. How do you determine who that audience is? So how do you determine which clients to go after, which clients to be in relationship with or build relationships with? And then we'll go into the other two silos. Because of all the, the marketing that I'm focused on, on, most of my clients are inbound clients. Okay. So I, I'm so explain not explain that. I know my mom's not here, but explain inbound for anybody who might not know what inbound is. So inbound is basically the client comes to you. You don't go to the client. You're not cold calling anybody. You're not reaching out to them. They have seen your work on a certain platform or they've come across your work through word of mouth. And then they're coming in to you to ask for that service. So it's a warm lead, essentially. Um, and so 90% of my clients at the moment are warm leads. They're either from word of mouth or uh, they found me on social media. Because you're present and visible and you're active and you're doing things, it's not like you're just sitting in the corner waiting for them to show up. Yeah, especially LinkedIn. Like a lot of, this is a, a key thing that I tell a lot of people is creatives need to be on LinkedIn. It's very easy for you to stand out because um, you have the ability to create artistic work. And in a platform which is very dry and word heavy, as soon as you have like a pop of color, your work's going to stand out and businesses are going to start noticing it. Um, it also gives you access to interact with businesses. So you need to be on platforms where other businesses are. Otherwise, you're not going to be found. Mm, okay. So then what about your audience for like your T-shirts or your prints, things like that? Because that could be maybe a different audience. How do you determine or say I'm going to do a t-shirt line of beavers and robots and what, how do I determine who's best going to buy those shirts or those prints or those sketchbooks or something? An interesting thing happens when you build uh, a specific narrative and when you're specific about your why, um, joy and encouragement is my why. And because I'm consistently doing that across my platforms, Certain people and tribe, a certain tribe is attracted to that because they need positivity. Mm -hmm. They need um, uh, to be uplifted. And so my audience is drawn to the message. Mm. And then the outworking of the message can be in a variety of different things. It can be in prints. It can be in T-shirts. It can be in, in books. So by focusing my attention on what the message is, I am then able to attract the right audience, the audience that's interested in that message. So I, I didn't go looking for my audience. I, I said, this is what I am. And by, by making a stand and saying, this is what I am, it attracted a specific audience. And then I can go and look at my metrics in Instagram and see, okay, 60% are women, 40% are men. They're usually between the age group of... Um, you know, 25 to 35. So I'm using what the tools that social media provides to then clarify my audience. Yeah. Okay. So, so, but let me ask this question. So the, the work that the content that you're putting out mm. is the same for getting client work and also selling books or shirts or it's, you're not having to do two different 
types of content and target them in different things because it really is the same message yeah. for all, right? Yes, yes. Well, it makes it a lot easier. Whew. Yeah, like uh, my whole idea is to present uh, the, the personality. Uh, and so people are attracted by the person. And so then they want to work with the person and whatever skills that person has, that can then out, be outworked based on the specific need of, of the audience, mm. right? So that that has been my strategy. <laughs> that's critical. And really for an introvert, that's really, um, or an extrovert actually like me who doesn't want to do talk about their stuff. I think that, that the personality is, and I think I think of that. I I know I have hired people. I don't, I'm like, I don't even know if they can fix my air conditioning, but I really like them and they have an air conditioning business. I would like them to be the person who fixes my air conditioning. And it, it's not and I I know I've done that with um freelancers, photographers or something. I I, I like the way they're talking about people or their audience or or their business and there's passion there so maybe we just need to talk about what we're we're passionate about because when we do that we attract we therefore then attract the right type of the people come right yeah i think seth golden says people buy from people they know like and trust mm -hmm. and so if you look at your own path and who do you buy for if, if it's outside of like a a generic like supermarket what are the sort of brands you buy from what are the sort of things yeah. you are attracted to it's usually within a specific tribe it's within uh, uh you like the personality behind the, the thing like for instance johnny cupcake people love johnny and you know how he how he is with his brand and because of that a lot of people are attracted to the products that he creates you know they'll buy any shirt he has right yeah right yeah did you plan to have these three different silos or sections of your business automatically from the beginning when you did your why or when earlier? So I, I wasn't conscious about it, but it was something that I was always interested in. Like I always wanted to produce clothing and, and prints and art. And it, initially when I was working in agencies, it was an outlet for my creativity mm. um, because a lot of times there'd be all these really uh, draining client briefs as it were especially working in an ad agency often there's a mix of like the type of client there'll be one creative and one like super corporate like we just want text like this you know and and so uh, so i had to have an outlet to to feel like i was you know uh, fulfill that like creative urge and mm. for me that creative outlet was the, the art and the the, the books and the and the clothing that I created. And so moving forward, as I started pushing into working on my own, um, this then became a way to help sustain those lulls in the business as it were. That's nice, that's good. Again, because it, it, there are ebbs and flows and I think yeah. it's good. It's good to know that they're coming and there's there are you just need to plan your year, right? You can't expect yeah. every every month to be the same. So I want to, we kind of are out of time, but I want it. we have seven minutes. So I'll rapid fire these. So what drives you? How have you remained so positive? And um, when has life been hard? Or ever? <sighs> I know some of these answers already, but. 
they don't. So my, so my drive um, is to bring joy and positivity in everything I do. The positivity comes from my identity in Christ because I, I believe in God. And so because I know I'm his son, then I don't need to look anywhere else for love. I don't need to look anywhere else for my identity. I'm secure in him. And because of that security, I, I can then look at the world and, and see that all things work for the good of those who love God. And so that is generally my outlook on life. And because of that, the other thing that I do is creative meditation. That's what this little little optimist is all about. So unlike Eastern philosophy, where meditation is about emptying your mind, uh, creative meditation is about filling your mind. So you take a positive idea or thought and you consider it over the whole day and you look at it from different angles. And by focusing on a certain idea, then your mind is focused on that idea and it doesn't have space to be overwhelmed by the circumstances that you're in. So what do you do when, um, when it's been hard? Like how, what has been the thing that holds you together? Or even as a parent, I'm, it'd be hard to be positive all the time as a parent and you have three kids. So triple hard. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Uh, so like positivity is a state of mind, right? It's not ignoring the sadness. It's not ignoring uh, how you feel. You have to accept how you feel. And when you accept it and say, even though this is how I feel, I'm not going to look at it this way. So it is really a mindset. And it's about teaching yourself to work within that that mindset and that frame. Not to say that you don't have days that, it doesn't really work. Uh, a, a good practice that I found is journaling. So by writing down how you feel, it really helps clarify that emotion. Because often, if we're unable to clarify the emotion, you can't really deal with it in a solid um, manner. Whereas if you at least understand where that emotion is coming from, then you can uh, tackle the problem. When did you start journaling? Did you Have you always been a journaler? Or was it when you were doing this investigation of finding your impact? When did you start journaling regularly? So I don't do it as regularly as I would like, um, but I started it in high school or maybe even middle school because I was bullied. A lot of the times I didn't know how to express myself and uh, a way to do that was just to write in my journal. And I'd write a lot of poetic language because I don't want anybody to find it. So I'd uh -huh. use metaphors and, and like talk about an issue for myself in a way. Obviously, at the time, I didn't know it was poetry. But like later on, when I showed my, uh, my teacher some of the work, she was like, this is actually poetic language. And then I, I was like, oh, it's poetry. But like, uh, I've kept that throughout. It, it also like stops you from like exploding because I, I used to get, mm. uh, because of everything that was happening around me, I'd get like, um, angry like very angry and obviously the anger was because of everything but I didn't have an avenue to express it and then I'd go home for the weekend and I explode with my brothers because uh, it was an outworking of everything that was affecting me in school and so by learning to write it down I was reducing the the potential buildup. Mm. When will you teach your kids to start journaling? 
I mean, I know they can't, maybe they can't write yet, but the oldest yeah. one can write. Barely. <laughs> She's still learning. <laughs> right now, all the, all the letters are backwards still. So. Oh, nice. <laughs> I, I, I just wonder, like, I think that that might be a, a neat um, tool, I think maybe to be able to use, I don't know, maybe. Yeah. We'll <laughs> Hopefully I will teach them or at least encourage them to buy them a notebook and say, Hey, this is where you write your thoughts, uh, how you feel. Um, I think like if you actually create safe spaces for children to um, actually express their feelings, like have a listening art that will potentially allow them to express it without necessarily having to write it. And that starts by creating an environment where this is possible. Mm. Right. Um, uh, so you learn from what you didn't have and then you create the sort of environment that you would have liked to have. So do you think that if you had had this message of when you were in boarding school of, of joy and encouragement and hope, do you think that that would have helped um, make that transition, those times in your life easier just because you didn't feel alone or for another reason? I think for me, Understanding your identity comes first because this is, if you're insecure about your identity, it doesn't matter what sort of mm. mindset you have. Anything that happens will then derail you from, um, from that mental aspect. Whereas mm. if you are secure in your identity, uh, that means you feel loved, you, you feel acknowledged, you know that no matter what circumstances, you're not affected by that because uh, there's a deeper narrative there. Whereas if you don't have that deeper narrative, that's when, that's when it's very hard for you. So even though the message was there, it wouldn't have been able to, uh, I wouldn't have been able to internalize it and then put it into action. Yeah, I, I, I looked down, I wrote, you know, and then I saw Van, but this is just this, I think you and Van are like speaking the same language. And Van said, yes, holding space for children and people to express safely without judgment is essential. But she also does a lot of identity work. So you're that's what you're talking about. I think that's so I wouldn't have thought about that. Like, I think that it is the journaling helped you understand and then who you were and maybe, um, you know, and then that more investigation, taking time to do that hard work of figuring out what you want to do and what your message is and what's mattered to you and what you've overcome mm. and what challenges, um, what you're, I just think that's great. So it's important to take uh, time to take care of yourself. And it's important to remember that it's self-care, not mm. self-pity. So mm. like there is a big difference between the two. And so focus on the self-care part. Yes, for sure. Okay. So can you quickly say how you are so productive? Because literally you told me you did this book on a weekend, but now you had been building, you had lots of these because of the journaling maybe. So yeah. it's that daily practice of drawing that it wasn't like you just whipped it out in a couple hours on a Sunday, right? Yeah. So um, it is a daily practice. So even though I don't consciously journal in my book, now I use my Instagram posts as sort of mm. a journal because I'm reflecting on the ideas and that way I'm hitting two stones with one, two birds with two one birds. stone. <laughs> two stones with one bird. <laughs> bing, bing. <Yeah. laughs> uh, so productivity uh, comes from that, that drive to 
um, get my message out there. It's also um, comes from confidence, right? You have to be confident in your abilities. I, I realized early on or like over the last two years that the fear is our greatest. Um, mm. uh, it steals our or potential, basically, mm. fear steals potential. And so uh, oftentimes, we allow that fear to overcome uh, us, and then we don't produce the work, or we don't share the work, or we don't put it out there, because we're afraid of what people say, or how it will look. But um, when we get rid of fear, or we face our fear, and we push past it, and we're willing to make mistakes, that's when you're able to grow, that's where you, when you're able to produce work consistently it comes from that place but it also comes from uh, knowing to rest at certain times because even if you're like super productive if you don't take the time to rest you will 100 have burnout so understand we'll what you your body is telling block, you. right <laughs> <laughs> yeah understand what your body is telling you understand what your emotions are telling you um and then take the space to rest hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. So um, I have way more questions. Um, so one of the questions I have to have answered though, is how do you measure your impact? So, or is it even something that you measure? Is it, is the world more joyful or the people, you know, like, I don't know, like um, how do you measure that? Because I think that once we've decided what our impact is, I think that it's not always measured the way, the people at the stock market measure it or, you know, like how do you, and is it important for us to also know how do we measure our impact? Yeah, I, I suppose uh, for me, it's, it's growth in community. If I'm seeing the community grow, if I'm, if I'm building relationships, then for me that, that is making an impact, you know? So the more relationships I can foster, the more people I can mentor, the, the deeper those relationships can be, the more I can help them thrive, the higher I see my impact. So when, when people who interact with me then go on to do better than me, then that for me means that I've made an impact. Mm, I love that. Yeah. And what regime said was rest, right? Uh, Dylan, Dylan echoes that for sure. So what to get that rest? Um, I know you're going to go on a little uh, camping, biking excursion when you can. Um, what else do you do to recharge, and and how do you get inspired? So I, um, prior to lockdown, it used to be a weekly. Which thing, lockdown? So you guys have had so many over there. It's like every week you're like, yeah, it's lockdown it's a, again. <laughs> prior to the pandemic. I, I used to go rock climbing every week. That was a way for me to uh, recharge, to de-stress, have some man time as it were. Uh, and that recharge also helped with family time as well, because you need to be able to um, recharge separate from your spouse so that you can come back and um, be a better husband, be a better father, um, be a better businessman, all of that. Um, so I, I, for me, nature has always been a way to recharge because I grew up in the Himalayas and the foothills, um, mountains are draw me. So like I go hiking, I go adventure cycling, I go rock climbing, whatever way to get out the other way. If I can't do that is I'll just zone out and watch a lot of binge watch a lot of 
cartoons and and Netflix series. I'll I'll, I'll chock a block a bunch of them one after the other, and uh, that's just space for me to zone out. Um, I also use read a lot of fantasy. So like Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter, that's a great way to escape into something. Uh, so I have to be careful when I pick up those books because once I pick them up, I don't want to put them down. So I have to make sure it's within that rest period <laughs> that I'm doing it. <laughs> okay, so that's but that's good to know that, that you are making time for that. Um, is there a quote or something that you keep close to help you keep you through tough times going through lockdown and not being able to... Uh, go out and recharge the same way you normally work. Is there something that you've held on during this pandemic and all the lockdowns y'all have had in Dublin? Yeah. Y'all really um, have. You've had like a ton of them. It's not <laughs> like we don't, we went down once, I think, you know, and then we were whatever that time frame, and we've never gone back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I suppose because I am a Christian, Christ centers me. So if I'm in trouble, I want to go back to the Bible and find wisdom and truth from there. And uh, one of my favorite verses is from Romans 8, 28, which says, all things work for the good um, and the glory of those who love him. Uh, mm -hmm. And that basically re reminds me that, you know, no matter what the circumstances feel like, God is going to outwork that in a way that will, uh, even though I might not see the good in it right now, it's going to work out in, in the end. And that's, mm -hmm. that comes down to faith, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Love that. Um, okay. So then what's next? What's next for you? I know you're going to speak at camp. So I'm really excited. I'm excited to have you. Um, what else is next? I'm hoping to get some of my books published by an, a publisher. So that's in the works right now. I'm also hoping to write a few more books this year. Um, so I have lots of ideas. It's just a question of putting that into practice. Um, and yeah, just continue doing what I'm doing. Oh, that's good. Okay, so... Um, I just want to make sure everybody knows there's always links down below. You can follow Ashwin, but I'm just going to read them out just in case you are listening and you're running or something or driving and you can't, but you can remember this. So if you um, are on Instagram, you can go to Wacko Chaco. How do you say it? Wacko Chaco. Wacko Chaco. It's just exactly how it seems like it would be spelled W H A C K O. And then just the same thing, but with a C, C H A C K O. Um, so that's the Instagram that um, LinkedIn is, you know, LinkedIn.com slash in slash Ashwin Chaco. Um, and then Twitter is the same Wacko Chaco. Wacko, I don't know why I'm having such a trouble. <laughs> Wacko, Chaco, Chaco, Chaco. Am I saying that right? Like, yeah, Chaco, Chaco. Hmm. <laughs> and anyway, um, and then the website is you can go to uh, uh, slash store. You can just check out wackochaco.com also. And then the clothing brand is chacobrand.threadless.com. Thank you guys. I Next week, we're going to do another mindset um, with Mario. So if you have, have more mindset questions or things, um, and if you, uh, he gave me an amazing discount. So if you're not on the list, you get that discount code 
through being on my email list and it's at the end of every email until his uh, May 24th when the uh, Mindset Reboot starts. But I hope you guys will check it out. You can go to bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash Mindset Reboot 2021. And um, if you want that code, um, you have to get on my email list. So go to rechargingyou.com slash sign up and you can get it and it'll be in every email until until the reboot mindset reboot happens. And both Mario and Ashwin will be at camp and they will both be talking about mindset stuff because I've learned a lot from both of them. And, and again, they'll be there. So if you guys want to come next week, it'll be Mario answering y'all's questions that, that uh, went really well last time. And I just wanted to give some more um, as we go into summer, summer can be um, a, a lot of times companies kind of are on a, they lull down. Now, some industries really ramp up, but a lot of times they don't. So anyway, I hope you guys will tune in next week. And Ashwin, thank you so much. Thank you. And I'm sorry I was off my game today, um, but thank you for uh, staying here and keeping me going. It was, I we got through our questions and I have even more questions and so and I'm glad I can represent and if you guys want these awesome books um I love it, it says pocket full of joy and the wondrous shapes is probably I just absolutely love that book and I I, I bought tons of these and I gave them as presents and they make a great it's not that hard to ship from and if you get it you will be so excited about your packaging that comes because he loves all over the envelope um, so anyway, and Van, Van got one. She said the little optimist book is fantabulous. So um, I am excited. I hope you guys will come back next week. And Ashwin, thank you so much. I'm going to hit stop. Thanks for having me, Diane.